This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. For over a quarter century, Dave Sanford has been covering the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. That's hundreds of games with blood, sweat, and beards. Most people would love to just see one game and have that moment of a lifetime. Dave hasn't taken it for granted for one second. To, to have the, the opportunity to cover sports history from a front row seat, like, you know, and that's the other side of it I look at is, is like the greatest and biggest and wealthiest hockey fan in the world can't do what I get to do. There is no, money can't purchase the experience that I get. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from small business owners, world-renowned chefs, professional athletes, and former baseball coach Nick Fiscardo. I get cut from the baseball team my freshman year, and I was going, I get cut? I said, so I went home, and I was like down, because it was like losing my best friend, you know. So my dad goes, what's wrong, son? I said, hey, Pop, I said, I got cut from the baseball team. He goes, you did? My dad was, my dad was pretty, pretty smart, you know. He said, like, so what are you going to do? And I go, what do you mean? What am I going to do? Go talk to the coach? No, the coach cut you. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll guarantee you I'll never get, ever get cut again. Ever. The rest of my conversation with Nick can be found on our archives justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Dave Sanford. Maine Farmhouse Brands was started by Dan McCool, a healthcare professional. His goal was to make premium soap. Most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent. Soap is made from natural ingredients like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine Farmhouse Brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine Farmhouse Brand soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shaved soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at mainefarmhousebrands.com. We're celebrating 25 years with Dave. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. And yourself? I'm great. This is excited because uh, it's not too often you get one person that's that's spanned a sport and its finals for as long as you have over a period of great change. When you started, you were a young lad, a wee lad, running around <laughs> the arena, and now it's, it's changed in such a way it would be hard to explain to young 24-year-old Dave what it would be like years later was was your first experience going to the finals walk me through that day what was that like for you in Detroit right uh it was in Detroit just down the road from home um so that was somewhat exciting because Joe Lewis arena was a place I'd you know it was an NHL arena I'd been to more than any other arena in my career um given my proximity to there two hours away right um so that was special in, in that regard to be doing my first final in a, an arena that I'm somewhat familiar with. Um, but yeah, it was, it was exciting and it was nerve wracking all at the same time. You know, all of those kind of crazy emotions that, that you go through during something like that. And um, I, 
Yeah. I, I mean, I remember thinking like, okay, this is, this is it. And I, and that first game, uh, realizing like how many other photographers are there at the time. Cause back then there was probably like 35 to 40 some odd photographers covering a Stanley cup final game. Right. Cause they, they played the, uh, the Washington capitals, right? They, they played the cast. So yep. you've got Detroit's media in full swing. Newspapers are still living large and yes. you have the DC market plus national national exactly plus canadian national right. uh news still covers it right um Man. back in the day too you had like espn shooting sports illustrated um sport magazine you know, still around uh i don't know if sport magazine was still around but um hockey digest or yeah, hockey like news hockey digest um sporting news Sporting news. Um, yeah, there was a lot more publications back Jesus. then. Jesus, you start so to think was, about all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, even the networks like, you know, ESPN, ABC, NBC, they had their own shooters. Um, so it was, there was a lot of people. So it was a little overwhelming that way. Um, <laughs> Trying to get to then, know everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also remember too, um, very quickly finding out how, uh, I guess, the, the business side of things can you know take precedent over you know friendships or whatever because mm-hmm. um, i remember detroit used to rotate positions so it was the only arena where it's like you would get your first period position second third period and then it would rotate uh and if we went to overtime then you would revert back to i believe it was your second period position so i had negotiated with bruce bennett okay um for a spot in, uh, which actually was, that was the great thing about the Joe. They had really low glass and they had really unique shooting point, uh, vantage points because of that low glass. Yes. So above the, the visitors and the home tunnel, they had these VOMs that the players walked out of that were super low right over the bench. And they'd put like boards over top of those. So you would climb over and sit there and have this kind of slightly elevated vantage point, but you could see the whole ice. And um, Bruce wanted an ice level, and I wanted to see the full ice. So we traded. I can't remember what happened. Game, I think it was game one, went to overtime. And I went back to my, you know, the, my assignment, like where, where, where we were told that you revert to your second period position. Well, I get back there, and Bruce was shows up, and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And I'm like, reverting back to my second period position and following like, the rules. That's is, what I'm doing. This is my second period position. And I'm like, no, it was mine. I shot here in the second you traded with me. And he was, he gave me this kind of <laughs> listen, punk. Like I've been in this industry a long time. And he's like, I don't give a crap what you want or said or whatever. He's like, pulls out the paper, you know, Bruce Bennett studios. This is my spot. And then scrambling to, you know, get to my position for the overtime before the puck dropped. And I learned very quickly then that, you know, there's a business side of things and the business side of it can be somewhat ruthless. Yeah. French friendships go out the window. Yeah. Especially in overtime. Um, Damn it. (laughs) Exactly. So, but, but I made the most of it and, um, but yeah. And then, you know, to fast forward to the end of the series, that was a sweep that series. Right. And it's, Still, knock on wood, the only sweep in the Stanley Cup final of my career. Um, And I hope, because I I want, I've always wanted seven games. I want seven games plus overtime. Um, I want the chance to get that game seven Stanley Cup winning overtime goal photograph, you know, like. Uh 
So anyway, it was a sweep and there I was on the ice in um, Washington. And I remember watching the cup be carried, being carried out in the ice and having to take a moment and put my camera down and just say to myself, just breathe. It's just, I'm just taking more photos. Like this is just, you know, don't, don't make it bigger than it is type thing and just relax. And, and I had to take a few, you know, seconds to just kind of breathe and, and get focused on the task at hand. And then, you know, it, it turned out to be incredible. And, you know, one of those things where, when I look back on it and I look at those photos and, and, you know, I can still remember that feeling of what it was like being out there, you know, and Steve Eisenman hoisting the cup and, and uh, the chills that went down my spine as it happened, I still get chills now talking about it. And because that's something, you know, not only had I dreamt about photographing and I dreamt about just being at a Stanley cup final. Um, I dreamt obviously I think like anybody that works in hockey about hoisting the Stanley cup myself. And, um, this was as close as I was going to get, you know, and, uh, it, it was just a very, very special memory. And what's amazing about it is that 26 years later, that moment still, it doesn't change. It's still just as I still get chills it's still just as exciting. I still get, you know, a little bit of those nerves because it's like, well, I don't want to screw this up. You don't, <laughs> right. you don't, you don't get a second chance to get the captain hoisting, you know? Yeah. Um, it's one time. Sometimes things happen where, you know, bodies get in front of you or the player turns the wrong way or he takes a few strides before he hoists it and you're not in the most ideal spot, but over the course of, of a quarter century, I've learned to just go with the flow and those things happen and you may not always get the greatest photo of that cup hoist but I just try and remember that hey I'm still here I'm still here because I'm doing something right you know um, don't just put all the don't put so much weight on just one moment there will be lots of great moments to come through this cup celebration that's what sort of goes through my head do you remember what uh, young Dave was was carrying gear wise back then what were you shooting on yeah, I was shooting Nikon back then um, and using a... a so F5s? You know, uh, no, I was using... Oh, my gosh, I can't even... Oh, N90s? N90s. N90S, yeah, probably. And, <laughs> and the N90, and I had a 70 to 200 on... Um, and uh yeah shooting film i was shooting strobed back then so i i was probably you know mostly shot fuji uh you know 400 uh, you know chrome film um uh yeah using the pocket wizards and you know like i say just that's the other thing too when you're shooting a cup presentation things happen pretty fast still you know it's not as fast as the game but you sort of get one crack at the hoist of the cup and then it's like one, 1,000, two, 1,000, I can shoot again, you know, like, so you have to factor that in. You have to factor in that you got 36 exposures and it's going to take a moment to rewind that film um, and change it out, put the new one in and you're going to miss stuff. You know, that's just the right. way it is. Right. Um, and that's, and that was acceptable back then because, Dave needed to rewind. Dave needed to put in film, put the film in the right pocket. 
you know, all those little details, and then you get back to it. Now yeah. there's no I, excuse for time lost the way, you know, editors. No, you're, you're correct. Yeah. Like I used to carry um, chalk bags for mountain climbing. Yep, I yep. had them. I had one clipped on my right hand side that was new film and one on the left hand side that was exposed the used right. film. Yep. And um, that was the quickest way to access it. Uh, for me anyway. Um, and I, I carried, I, I think, gosh, for my first, like maybe 15 or more Stanley cups, I had this Patagonia fanny pack that was, you know, the teal and purple and I would have extra batteries and a flash and just right. things like that. And uh, random double battery, double a batteries, just all the, yeah. you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You just exactly. And, um, my biggest fear and, was the PC cord going bad. Cause you had to go to the pocket wizard back then to your yeah. PC cord still didn't have hot shoe. Mm-hmm. My fear was God forbid I snap this PC cord or it goes bad. Yeah. Cause you're, when you're running around the ice too, and you're, you know, bumping elbows with everybody, it's like, it's kind of chaotic at times. And <sighs> it, it, not that it's intentional, but things get hooked on somebody else's gear or clothing or whatever. Yeah. There, there are all these little things that you have to worry about and you're always checking, you know, so, it, you know, you might shoot 12 exposures and then you just, you waste one just so you can make sure the strobes are going and, yes. you know, and, and wasting one at a 36 is, you know, it's a big deal back then. Yeah. Um, especially when the event is important and things are happening fast. Um, but, um, in a but t- yeah, it was in a typical game back then. How many exposures do you think you went through? How many rolls of film? Cause you're on, on lights, average, you're on lights. I, so I, you're two frames a second. You're slow. Yeah. Yeah. On average, I, I went through about 10 rolls of film a game. <laughs> Jesus, that's great. 10 like rolls. Three, three, I usually was in the range of like 300 to 360 some odd frames a game on average. Oh. Maybe a bit more at, at a cup final, you know, um, just because there's there's a little bit more happening pregame and, mm-hmm. and you are maybe shooting a bit more because of the level of importance. Right. Now, you were truly then in 98 shooting for the archive because nothing was going to be seen the next day. Nothing was for social media. It was truly for archiving the moment. Yeah. Like, the, uh, you know, at the most... Um, you know, like some of the papers subscribed to NHL images back then, but yeah, stuff still had to be, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because that was when we went digital. So you're right. right. No, it was just, yeah, shipping the film off. It was getting processed. And then maybe at the, the fastest we would see anything was Sports Illustrated or uh, the Sporting News or ESPN. Mm-hmm. So film would be turned around maybe in, in 24 to 48 hours. And if there was any request or anything important enough, it got sent off to those three publications. Right. And then if we were, if I was fortunate, then you would see something inside or on the cover um, of one of those magazines, maybe a week to a week and a half later. Cause that's yeah. when they published weekly. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. just kind of depended when the cup would end. Yeah. And that was, that was the gem. That was like, if you got to see something and, you know, and especially an SI back then, um, that was, you know, that was super special. And the scary thing was you could have had a great shot on a, on a Tuesday, the cup ends on a Monday or Tuesday, but the magazine had already closed 
mm-hmm. you have to try to compete with the whole week's worth of sports and hope to God, you know, something doesn't happen at a Florida State game or, you know, a cowboy doesn't, you know, break a leg or whatever else is happening. Exactly. And, and, and the, you know, all the weird things of sports and then you're, you know, still around. Like, right. You, and the other thing too, we like the NHL, it just, we were always kind of low on the totem pole as right. far as getting published in those, those publications yep. because, you know, like, let's face it, there was, you know, NASCAR, college sports, golf, like everything came above hockey. Yep. Um, so hockey wasn't in there every single week. It wasn't, you know, maybe as we got into the playoffs, there might've been a short article with some photos mm-hmm. as we got deeper into the playoffs, but yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't always a guarantee that hockey was going to be in there. And then they had their staffers. They had, they had the, you know, rest his soul, Lou Capazzola, right. love Lou. He was amazing. Um, and, and David Clutho who were staffed at all these games too. So they had their own people there, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dillip was shooting for the Sporting News, and ESPN had their own people. So I wasn't necessarily, first and foremost, to be, you know, have my content run in those publications. They had their staffers. So you had to have something really special or something that maybe they missed. Right. Between um, strokes. For. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. it. That's the crazy thing. Yep. So your second year, it's on here as one of the top 10 games of all time in NHL history, that Stanley Cup game between Dallas and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were, were you, I mean, you're still wet behind the ears, new kid, and that game is is gold. I mean, an absolute stunner. goes down 4-2, Dallas wins, but overtime, three overtimes if I remember right. Yeah. How were you adjusting as a young guy with that much overtime again on strobes, film, and you probably got Bruce Bennett to deal with? <laughs> well, I I was still young enough that uh, I could stay up late, no problem. Um, so that wasn't an issue. Eleven o'clock, you weren't yawning. I didn't go to bed that night, um, and I ended up going. You know, woke up in Buffalo, and well, I didn't go to bed, but I ended up in Dallas that night. So. Um, or early the next morning. Um, Youth, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, no, I like you definitely put added pressure on yourself in those situations. I mean, it's it's like if Dallas scores, it's going to be the Stanley Cup winning goal, mm-hmm. and you want to capture that. You don't want to just capture it for yourself, though. I'm working for the National Hockey League. Um, I don't want to blow it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you, you're covering you're history. Yeah. So you, you do, you put this added pressure on yourself to hopefully get that moment, but you have to be realistic too. And that maybe it's going to happen in the other end. Maybe I'm going to have bodies between me and whoever the goal scorer is. Like there are so many things that are out of your control that I now am more at ease with as my career has gone on. But back then, yeah, you're, you get frustrated, you get mad or whatever. Um, but at the same time too, I, you know, I learned long ago that maybe as a kid growing up playing hockey, it's a team sport and it's no different than when I was shooting. Um, when I was working for the NHL back then, I was working with Craig Melvin and Diane Sobolowski. Yeah. Diane was the Hartford team photographer before they moved. Um, and Craig had been, you know, based out of Buffalo and shooting NHL for a long time. 
both brilliant shooters and amazing human beings. And I loved working with them and I learned so much from working with them. And, and again, the focus being on, um, we were a team. So we were, you know, one was elevated, one with Craig was ice level in one end and I was ice level in another end. Diane was elevated that game, if I recall. And, um, we would rotate. Um, so it was all fair to us. Like we would just switch out games that particular game, the winning goal was scored in the far end. Yeah. I had a remote out there, but my net cam was in in the opposite end. Oh. Greg Melvin happened to be uh, at the end the goal was scored at, and he had an overhead and his net cam uh, trigger on the same channel in, in that goal. So Craig got the goal from three different angles, and... You know, yeah. There's a, you're you're personally a little bit bummed that you know I don't I don't have anything on it. I didn't even have an angle down the ice, um, so I don't have any, you know, photographic evidence of that moment in hockey history. Did you even have a um, line of sight? Could you see I, what was I happening? I could see it. I could see through the glass because I was on a position like basically the hole around where the hash marks are mm-hmm. in, in the far end, so I could see it. But you couldn't but get couldn't, your angle in the camera. Shoot it. Yeah. And I just like it happened, and it was like. Oh my God, you know, like, and I, I remember shooting Belfour, throwing his, his arms up in the air. And then the next thing I did was I'm just shuffling past all these fans in the front row to get out the penalty box to get out on the ice. Um, and um, it was just so chaotic. And, and I remember Buffalo not leaving the bench and not, you know, and just, but you don't know all that stuff really until after you know like you're sort of in the moment and was like what's going on here and i had no idea that his foot was in the crease or anything like that like i'm just doing what i gotta do and that's when the rules changed as far as like goal score doors are open everybody's out there you know that year changed everything to the point where okay everybody has to go out zamboni gate and they're you know it's it's signaled by the officials to you know, Dan Craig back then, and now Mike Craig or Derek King, like, okay, we can open the doors now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was chaotic. Changed. I remember that. Like, absolutely it, it all hell broke loose, and people were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But it was too late. Yeah. And Confetti had Craig, fallen. It was like, yeah. I remember being on the ice and Craig being like, I think I got it. I think I got it. But you don't know. Right. You know, yeah. it, it's, we got to send the film off. And sure enough, he had it from the overhead with his foot in the crease and the puck in the net. Uh, from the side, it was a little, I think there was some obstruction there, but still he had it. And then the net cam, I remember Craig used a 20 mil instead of a fisheye. So it was a little tight. So he had Hull with his foot in the crease on the follow through and Hasek stretched out. But the puck was, if, if he had a wider lens, the puck would have been there. But he had a 20 mil, so you can't see the puck. It's still a great shot and it ran everywhere. Right, yeah. Um, but I was so stoked for Craig, like, you know, the way I look at it is like, we got it. The NHL, our team, we did our part. Uh-huh. Um, because as I say, you're always, you're not going to get every single moment. Like sometimes guys will bitch and complain about like the position they get. And, you know, I've never quite understood it. Yeah, I get it. Like if you come into the rink today, you're like, well, sure. I'd love to be in the end where Connor McDavid attacks twice. Mm-hmm. But if I don't get that, I don't care. And my logic has always been, well, there's team guys or guys that have shot here all season long. I don't want to be that guy that comes in and the NHL is like, all right, where do you want to go? You know, I'm like, well, if, if, you know, Vegas is here, well, where does Jeff shoot? I'm not going to take his spot. Right. You know, like I don't want to be that guy. Um, 
and plus, like you say, I don't know. It's it's not scripted. You don't no. know where things are going to unfold. So I've always just been like, hey, I'm grateful to be here. I'm at ice level and I've got a hole in the glass and let it unfold wherever it may. That's part of the thrill of it all. So yeah. um, I like the fact, though, that you went on to Belfort and shot the goalie going across because you know how many people would miss that and just be like, oh, I missed the shot. I didn't get it. I'm going to make my way onto the ice. But there's still a photo to be made of a lonely goalie throwing his pads and making his way to his teammates because that's what you forget. He's on the other end alone. Yeah, yeah. And I think I can credit um, – you know, like I, I've always loved goaltenders. I, you know, when I was growing up playing road hockey and pond hockey and everything, I always wanted to be the goalie. And I, you know, I, I played net when I was super young for part of a season, I think. But um, I was just always fascinated by goalies and I've always shot goalies. Okay. And I can credit Denny Brodeur for that because early in my career, I, I got to sit beside him in Montreal for so many games. And Denny would always talk about shooting the goalies and, uh, how it was his favorite to to shoot as well. And so um, a lot of credit goes to, you know, my way of thinking and, and a, the way I've shot goaltenders over the years is just from getting to hang out shooting hockey games with the legendary Denny Brodeur. That's which, not, it's not bad right there, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed? Okay. So there, I saw an interesting one looking at the stats. It's very interesting. And you're 25 years, 26 of overall, it's always staggered. It's a Florida, it's a Tampa, it's an LA, it's a Detroit. Like it's no one's dominant. You looked at those seventies though. You had Philly, Canada, Montreal, or the Canadians, Montreal, and then the Islanders. Like they had for eight years. It was Montreal, and then four years of the Islanders, and then Edmonton. Yeah. It was and like Edmonton. This huge yeah. block for a while. Philly, Montreal, and like now, it, any year it could be anybody. It really could, but at the same time, I, I look at how many repeats in my career. Like, how many times have I shot New Jersey in the Stanley Cup final? I'm not saying they've won right, it every year. Right, Detroit, that, yeah. Pittsburgh, Chicago. Avalanche, Tampa, right? Tampa. Yeah. Uh, the Avalanche. Like, I've had a lot of repeats as far as the, you know, the, the, the clubs that I've shot. Um, but... You know, and I guess, you know, as close as I have come would probably be earlier in my career with Detroit, mm -hmm. being there as much as I was. And then there was just a, kind of a couple of years off and they kind of came back again. And then lately, like I say, Tampa, I mean, they've they've had some unbelievable runs. Um, and as, as close as I've come to a dynasty and, you know, um, and Chicago, you know, what, three out of five years there, like right. it just... So there's been, you know, there's been a fair share of repeat customers, but not the dominance, like you say, of like the 70s and 80s, um, yeah, where it was you, like year after year after year after year. Yeah. yeah and I'm but, grateful for that. I like I like going different places. I like being in different rinks and different, um, you know, different cities and right. seeing the different atmospheres. And, um, you know, I... I grew up an Oiler fan. I loved watching it, you know, uh, throughout the 80s as a teenager, um, watching the Oilers dominate the way that they did. And um, would I love to have been there a few years earlier? Sure, but, <laughs> um, you know, that wasn't the case. And, uh, yeah, I just uh, – it's been fun to, to go to different cities. And I do, as, as my career's gone on, kind of funny how picky and choosy i get when the playoffs are happening i'm like it's kind of a mixed you know 
based on the club itself and mm-hmm. like what's the, the the talent, the exciting level of hockey they may or may not play. Right. Um, the, and then the atmosphere in the city and the city itself. Sure. You know, I'm like, so I get selfish and it's like, okay, well, this year when it boiled down to it, I'm like, well, if we go to Florida, then I could go to the beach on off days. <laughs> <laughs> if it's going to be in Vegas, well, then I, there's great food, great meals and everything, great restaurants and uh, nightlife and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, you selfishly sort of look at it this way um, once, once you know, uh, and it's also as well, I, I've made so many friendships over the years. So I look at who plays for who or who's on what club. Right. I can go uh, see this when, guy and I can go see this guy. And... Yeah. Well, you, you want to see people you uh-huh. have become friends with succeed. Right. And, or I haven't um, seen her in a while. Hopefully she's, you know, she's going to be, yeah, that's always that way. Yeah, exactly. So it's those, those, those factor into who you, you know, who or where you want to go as well, but it's all out of your control and, <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. You, you just you have to go with the flow. That's just the way it is, and that's part of the excitement of playoff hockey. Have you seen a building change over those twenty five years? Where have you seen any new buildings come in? Oh yeah, tons. And tons. and are you happy with some of them? And some of them you wish like, God, if you just contacted me, I could have told you where to put the holes a little bit better. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> one of the you know that's where I. I've been consulted with uh, for many buildings um, through the NHL, through uh, hockey ops, through my boss, through some of the clubs. And I think like, wow, like, you know, it, again, those are the, the, those may just be little things, but it's not lost upon me. You know, like they're changing the nets and everything too. And I've been consulting with hockey ops over that um, as to where, you know, how it will impact our net cam. And I'm like, like I, I just got a chill thinking about it because I'm like, there's a kid in me, that 12 year old kid who's just a big hockey fan who, who, who never would have thought that one day the National Hockey League is going to call me and ask me my opinion on something that, you know, has an impact on on the not necessarily on the game itself, but you know, like when they're building these new arenas and where they're going to place strobes, like. Um, I've had to go into the, some of the new buildings before they're done being built to do this stuff and yeah, where positions are and running back in the day for strobes. Like, are we going to be able to run wiring that goes down through the structure and come out to our positions and, um, you know, where strobes would be positioned and yeah, it's just incredible to think like, yeah, somebody values my opinion enough and I've made that much of an impact on the game and the, and the, the history of recording the game that the, that they'll consult with me on that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I've seen a lot of building changes. I miss Maple Leaf Gardens big time. I miss the Joe. Oh, yeah. I miss Northlands Coliseum. Like those places were small and intimate. Um, yeah, they. I know that, you know, the new arenas are grand and – you know, they're plush and, and everything, but there was an intimacy to those arenas that is just lost now for the most part. Um, and, you know, I, I really, of the newer arenas, like I like when they take a unique spin on them, like Minnesota, where they have like the, make it look like cottage country or cabin, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like the, the, the wainscoting, even in the bowels of the arena is all down there and they make, make it look like you're going to the cottage or something. Like it's got its own little unique characteristics, you know, uh, same architect as 
as Denver's arena, but again, their own personal touch on it. Right. You know, the Joe's very modern and everything and it's, or not the Joe, sorry, little Caesars. And yeah. All, little and Caesars. It's, <laughs> it's, it's an awe inspiring place to walk into, but again, it's so much bigger. Like the Joe yes. felt like the ceiling was right on top of you, you know, right. and um, it smelled like stale beer and peanuts. And I love that, yep. you know, um, if and, you took people today who hadn't gone to a hockey game at all, and took them to old Chicago or where the Islanders play on the island. Like they'd be like, Oh my God, this is so dank and small and no, no, no video boards, no ribbons. Right. It was probably mm-hmm. all ball blighting on shot clock and the scoreboard and everything. It was such a darker building back then. Yeah. That I don't think people understand because LED and the ribbons have really illuminated a building <laughs> in a way. Now you're looking up and you can see the Raptors. You could see everything. Back in the day, it was looking into space. There was nothing up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and maybe that's why part of why I love them so much because yeah. everybody's always said, "Oh, you're a vampire." Like I live in darkness. You know, I have little. 20 watt bulbs in my place and everything is all dim and dark. And I like cloudy days like I have here today. Um, I'm not a fan of big, bright light. Um, so there's a guy who shoots on strobes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, now it obviously makes a difference, but still like, I wish we could do more stadium style lighting, uh, like they do in basketball, but it's got to do with goalies losing the puck and Mm -hmm. different things like that. So I understand it, but some readers, you know, kind of pulled it off like Seattle. I haven't been there yet. I'll get there later this year. I like the way it looks on TV, the way it's lit. Like it does drop off after about 10 rows and starts to get darker. Mm-hmm. Tampa was doing that as well in the upper bowl. And so it does make it feel a little bit more intimate um, in such a big arena. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's changed drastically. Like you say, the ring of light that goes around oh. as a photographer, it can have a big impact on you. It, it can slightly change your exposure. Yep. It can change the color cast of things um, because those LEDs are so bright and powerful now. And in fact, like they, you know, they, they can overthrow the strobes. So right. I haven't shot strobes um, since prior to 2020. Um, I remember in the bubble going to Edmonton in game one and I abandoned the lights immediately, like during warm up, because I'm like, I, I'm not overpowering the strobes. I'm barely overpowering them. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to barely overpower the ambient light here, why limit myself to one frame every two seconds when I, it is, you know, the led light is still uh, strobed is, is still uh, to it's me, superior. Yeah. It, yeah. It's superior. But when it's that close in an arena like that, my theory was like, okay, abandon the strobes and, be able to get myself uh, more frames per second, you know, and in the reality of it, in the end, as long as you get the shot, you know, it's, that's, that's what's important. And, you know, technology post-processing, everything is so good today. Um, And let's face it, most of it's used online. So um, we're not making big giant corporate ads and posters and billboards and things like that the way that we used to. So um, it works, you know, and, and then you have more of an opportunity to capture the moment versus potentially missing something because you're waiting for lights to recycle. Yeah. Was, was your digital switch 
during the Stanley Cup finals a little bit easier because you were on lights, so you weren't having to shoot at like 800 or 1600 ISO, and it sucked, and you were able to keep a lower ISO, so your digital yeah. pain wasn't so brutal? Yes, absolutely. Like, I, I shot strobed hockey, like I say, right up until 2020. So, um, it, 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 yeah, I was able to shoot at finals and all that through that, those eras of, you know, crazy noise and the cameras and everything I was shooting at, you know, a hundred, depending on the arena and the lights and the level, the, the height of the ceiling, um, anywhere from a hundred to maybe 400 ISO. So, uh, the quality of the stuff was, was brilliant, you know? Um, so yeah, it was something I didn't have to worry about for the most part. Cause Every I'm sure you I'm heard it in the a, media room from some of those guys who were just oh dying. My God, yeah. Yeah they're just dying, you know, like, and complaining about the quality and, and especially too, for the, some of the press guys where depending on how the quality of, of the level of the publication that it was going in, like stuff could look like garbage, you right. know, AP. Um, I remember listening to like poor Mark Terrell or any of those AP guys literally almost in tears because they, they didn't even have certain, co- like I remember when he started shooting digital, they didn't have the, the Nikon couldn't even reproduce a Laker yellow. Mm-hmm. So it was looking like mustard. So he was dying. He's looking at his monitor going, uh, what do I do? I'm like, send it. Nothing you can do. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too, I should mention is I was one of probably one of the last in the industry to make the switch. I was, I was scared of it. <laughs> um, I was comfortable with shooting, you know, slide film. I loved it. Um, and because of the partnership with Getty that the NHL developed, I eventually had no choice. I had to switch over to, right. um, to, to digital. So there was a bit of a period there where I was shooting both film and digital at the same time. Um, cause the league was still so comfortable with, with Chrome stuff. And, um, so it was a weird balancing act there. Um, but I didn't go digital until I think it was 2002. It was wow. either late 2001 or 2000 and early 2002. So guys had already been shooting digital for three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, when I, and when I went digital, I was shooting Nikon still. Was it the 1DX back yeah. then? Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, colors were, when you look back on it and everything, you know, like the tone of flesh and certain colors and uniforms, just a little bit off and how they would reproduce. And, but that was just, it is what it is, right? That's the way I always looked at it. And obviously it's changed and evolved ever since then. And, um, my biggest issues back then were focus. There was a, a 1DX had a serial number series from, you know, whatever number to whatever number but they had a lot of bodies that were having back, back focus issues. That's right. And both of my, both of mine were like that. And my bodies were in to Nikon every three months. Oh. Um, it was so frustrating to have a guy lining up for a face off and it looks in focus in my camera and I take a photo and then I look at it on the computer and it's back focused by, you know, ever so slightly. And it's like, I would take them in over and over and over and over and they kept saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with them, you know? And it's like, here's the evidence. And 
anyway, I I ended up switching to Canon as a result, and that's you know what I've been ever since. You know, it's funny. Canon had that same issue with like the one D Mark II or whatever, and guys were discovering it during the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. During a, a Ducks, uh, I don't know who it was. Ducks, somebody. Ducks, Detroit. Ducks, Red Wings. Whatever that was, and they were same thing. It's funny how the Stanley Cup was discovering people's you know back focus issues. Yeah, yeah. It's you know not like it's a preseason game or something. It's right. Like the <laughs> biggest event of the year, and it's like oh great. <laughs> and it's frustrating when you do everything within your power to get the moment to be there. You know, and it's technology that's failing you. And it still happens today, whether it's remotes or whatever, you can do everything, jump through hoops and and you're there hours early and you get everything all set up and it's technology that fails you. Right. Um, And that's, that's super frustrating. Like we discovered this year um, with the, the, with Canon now, um, when some of the firmware updates, um, doing a remote, it happened like where I discovered it was a winter classic this year had my remote and the dashers like behind the net Mm -hmm. shot the first period and everything's tack sharp and then turn the camera off, pop the card, put a new card in. Everything's out of focus just by a hair. And what it is, it's a, it's a reset that it would do on the lens. So it just, just, even though it's taped down and on manual focus, it would override it it overrides. And so I, I was like scratching my head, like, what, how does this happen? Like, and then I, you know, refocused it. So some stuff was sharp again, eventually. And then in between periods, again, same thing happened. And it's like scratching my head. Didn't figure this out till finals when, again, we're talking with Bruce at finals and that's, this was, this, this was an issue. It had been kind of brought up. And um, so they're like, yeah, don't turn your cameras off. Just keep the card in. Um, but see that it's, that's that used to be the kiss of death pulling your card out with your camera on because they're always worried about static and you would yeah lose your card images right right oh. I think things have changed so much now that it, that's I haven't heard of that happening in the longest time right but it's our habit now, yeah and also as well like I for me this was, we're having this discussion in Vegas my camera was overhead and I wasn't accessing it till the end of the game anyhow. Um, so I just left it on, didn't worry about it and everything was sharp. <laughs> um, funny how that works. But yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, t- technology can fail you and I, and you know, you can show up and do everything right. But when technology fails you, um, you sort of have to learn to, you know, let it roll off your back, you know, like, like water off a duck's back type thing. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not your fault, right. you know, when tech tech fails you, um, and it, and it does happen. It's just the the age of technology. So, I see. I think the the sad thing about that too is because now there's less and less true professional photographers, right? Like you're not running into Calutho every weekend in St. Louis, in Ottawa, in Vancouver. So you guys right. don't banter in the media or go out to dinner mm-hmm. afterwards and talk about, Hey, you know what? My camera's kind of acting goofy. And so then you guys can like reverse engineer it. So if there's less and less of us actually working, those yeah. moments can't be discovered. And that's, you what's kind of sad. Yeah. You make a really brilliant point there. 
that's something that always would happen, you know, like, yeah, you're just out having a beer or having dinner and you're, you're, you know, like inevitably the chatter comes around to that type of thing. And as I say, there used to be 40 some of, of us shooting a game like that, uh, the Stanley Cup final. And now we've got maybe just over 20, <sighs> you know, or, or less, you know, between 15 and 20 some years, like, um, and it's different too. Like I, I would say, like I, you know, you're not traveling as much throughout the regular season and going from rink to rink. So you don't form those friendships like we used to right. back in the day. So when I'm at the arena in Vegas or Florida, I mean, there's the core people that I've always known, mm-hmm. but a lot of the younger, newer photographers, when I say newer, they could have been around for the last 10 years or so. Um, I know who they are. We know who one another are, but we don't have that bond or those relationships. And, you know, everybody, life's different. Everybody's got their own things and on the go. And, you know, a lot of people that are local may just kind of go do their thing. Whereas we're at the hotel, it's just, it's changed over the years. So yeah, that, that is a factor where you're just not discussing the ins and outs of the game like that and, and your, your own gear and what may or may not have happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're exactly this way back in the day. And again, it's life is different, but there wasn't a time I would travel and I didn't meet up with somebody in Buffalo or Philly or wherever, because, Hey, you're in town. Let's go afterwards. Oh, you're going to cover the game. I'm covering the game or I'm working the night shift. We'll meet up afterwards. And it was always like that. Now, if I travel, it's 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 very uh, I can't or this or that, and it's like, or those papers don't exist. Those people are gone, yeah. right? Well, yeah, that's a huge factor in it all. Is so many of the publications that just simply don't exist anymore, right? And so many people that for the first half of my career that that I I was surrounded by are just gone. Yeah, I remember um, in two thousand thirteen. I am covering Chicago's playing somebody in the finals and I was doing something for ESPN. I'm with the angels at the time. Yeah. And I'm at the angels later that year and that I were in Chicago playing the Cubs. That's the day they let go of half of the sun. The sun sun got let go. So I saw all those guys in May in August, they're gone. The paper went from two paper town to one paper town. So 30 people like that, that I would go have dinner, no editors from workshops mm-hmm. or whatever, unemployed. And it's like, oh yeah. my God, how did yeah. that happen? Yep. It's, it's, it's been a shame to see it. You know, I mean, it was a trickle at the beginning and then it felt like there was a big fall out uh, and so many people lost and now in the last few years it's more of it's back to the trickle but it's still happening you know Mm -hmm. like there was a peak period there where the bottom just kind of fell out and it is a shame like it's so many brilliant shooters who've had to kind of reinvent themselves or go on to another type of career or whatever it may be because the industry just changed so much have you noticed let's see so you had Vegas and Florida so you got you got decent sized newspapers there. Mm-hmm. Um, Tampa, Colorado, Tampa, Montreal, Tampa, Dallas. 
Those are like the last. Well, those are bubbles, though. That's a problem too. Okay, so let's go yeah, pre. Bubbles let's, is a different factor. Right. Let's go pre bubble. So Tampa, Dallas, St. Louis, back Boston. Boston. Again, Vegas, Caps, uh, Pens, Nashville. So again, decent towns. You know, Capitals got yeah. a big paper. Boston, big paper history. Are you still seeing them cover the finals like those papers might have covered them in the nineties, or? Are they instead of not sending four photographers, five photographers, are they sending one or a guy? Yeah. Fudge. Yeah. That's the big change. Those, you know, any of those papers that still exist are still there covering it. But as you say, back in the day, they might have been sending anywhere from two to possibly four shooters. Right. You know, and somebody's shooting outside and, and somebody's roaming, somebody's shooting elevated, somebody's shooting ice level. And now it might be one, maybe two, depending on the publication. Um, so it is, it's a huge change for sure. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, like you say, all those really realistically, like a lot of those going back over the last six, seven years of cups that you just listed. Yeah. There's a lot of cities with big media publications still, but everything's just shrunk, you know, it, it really, really has for those industries. Uh, and, and that's a reflection on who shows up at the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And we used to get, we used to get photographers coming from Europe as well. Right. Sure. Back in the day. Because and, then and, some European Russian Finn guy was in the finals. It was big yeah. deal. Yeah. And now you just, you don't see that anymore. I, I couldn't tell you the last time we saw a photographer from Europe covering Stanley Cup final. I can't remember. <sighs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's changed. And that's where like every, as every year passes, like I just count my blessings that I'm still there. You know, um, I know that it could be gone and taken away from me in a moment's notice. So, um, as I started creeping closer to 25 Stanley cups, I was just like, if I can just get to 25, like that, that milestone marker, you know what I mean? I don't want to stop now, believe me, but um, you know, I, I, I'm well aware when I've been watching the evolution of sports photography over the years that it, it you know, it could, could, could end any time. Um, so I soak it up as much as I can. Like I, I'd love it just as much as the day I started. Yeah. So it's not getting old. You still love it. Oh no, I absolutely love it. It is, it's, it's magic, you know, like to see, to, to have the, the opportunity to cover sports history from a front row seat, like, you know, and that's the other side of it I look at is, is like the greatest and biggest and wealthiest hockey fan in the world can't do what I get to do. There is no money can't purchase the experience that I get and I get paid for it. <laughs> I get, you know, somebody puts me on a plane and flies me across the country and puts me up in a nice hotel and, I'm in the arena with access that you can't pay for. I have a front row seat to the game. I'm on the ice pregame, you know, for the anthems and player intros. I'm on the ice postgame. I'm, uh, you know, whether I can walk down the hallways and be on the bench during warm up and, um, you know, be in the locker room. And like I say, this is all access that as a fan, you can't get. There is no amount of money in the world that 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 can pay for that experience. So, like I say, I don't take it for granted, and um, 
I think as each year goes on and, and especially too, during the, the bubble year and, and everything. And like, we had a lockout year where there was nothing happening. Those years really, really make it hit home for me of just how special and important it is. And like I say, I'm covering hockey history. When I walk into a place like Chicago or Toronto or Boston, and I see the history of what's on their walls, mm-hmm. you know, um, and now to see like some of those clubs like Chicago and Boston, where those are my photos on their walls and guys are looking at every day when they come in and in Tampa, like the corridors where the players go out to the ice. Um, when I was there in 2021 for finals, those walls are all just big murals, like the photos that are put onto the walls were all my photos lining that hallway as the players come and go from the ice. And I'm, you know, there's a Stamco scoring, uh, you know, when he came back and played and got that big, uh, he got a big goal in the bubble. Um, Does that give you butterflies? Does that make you kind of weak in the knees? And to see that picture larger than life. And then, you know, uh, Vasilevsky throwing his blocker and trapper in the air and, uh, that was shot from my neck cam and the team photos and guys hoisting the cup. And I'm like, and all these banners that the league b- brings in that are larger than life, the guys hoisting the cup and the history of the Stanley cup. And so many of those are, are my images. It gives me chills and it it's a special honor. Like where I think like, Oh my God, like I look at all the history here and all these players, th- those pictures are there for a reason because those players feed off of that. They see it. They want to be, they want to make their own history. Mm-hmm. And then there I am again with the chance to document what maybe they're going to do. So it's super special. It's not lost upon me. And as I say, I think as my career has gone on, it just becomes more and more special. I think there was a time early in my career, like I said, I don't want to say that I ever took it for granted, but I think the younger, more, um, you know, in mature me was like, well, I'll be doing this for a while now. You know, I got to a certain point where I'm like, yeah, I'll be doing it for a while. Whereas now I'm like every year I'm like, okay, is this it? You know, um, because things just change so rapidly and things that are out of your control. So I soak up every single moment I can. And like, I, I don't know if, you know, when people see me on TV or in the locker room or whatever, like, my face hurts the next day because I'm smiling so much behind the camera because it's such a, it's, it's, and I'm so happy for everybody that gets to win. And I'm so happy to see these moments unfold. And you know, in your head, when you hit the shutter and you've got a special moment, you know, like you just automatically know, and uh, it's a feel good moment for myself. And um, yeah, it's just, you're, you're surrounded by pure joy and happiness. Right. You know, there are moments, there's a few moments there where the club that loses are still in the ice. And, you know, I, I think I maybe mentioned before when we talked, like I, I had tears coming down my cheeks when the Oilers lost to the Canes after the lockout. And, um, you know, Ryan Smith, you know, was the one who consoled me, you know, like, <laughs> um, and I do get emotional about it. And I think that's part of what helps me be a great shooter is, is I am so emotionally attached to it all. And when I, you know, like this year, I knew people on both sides, not on the player's side, person, personal relationships, but within the clubs. Mm-hmm. And I 
I was so heartbroken for the guys I know in Florida that lost, but I was elated for the people on Vegas that, that won. And, you know, when you see the the people that, you know, whether it's been players or team personnel or whatever over the years that lose, I, it's almost like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm at a funeral and you don't know how to act in front of them. Like, especially on the ice after the fact. Um, but I've still got my job to do. And then they leave the ice and then it's sort of, I can let that go and then just enjoy the moment of whoever's out there and with whoever's out there. And, and, um, like I say, I soak it up as much as I, I have, you know, a job to do. I'm, I think that's what allows me to do it so well is because I really immerse myself in the moment. Um, I'm not just a robot out there. That's, yeah, you know, like I've got lot, I wear my heart in my sleeve and whether it's the emotions of humans or animals or everything, that's what really gets me going. And um, so I think it helps me to capture a lot of the cool key moments that I've seen over the years of the Stanley cup final, you know, especially post game. Right. Do you get player recognition where they see you and they go, Oh, Hey Dave. And I ask that not to be like, Oh yeah. Players recognize me. But when you're trying to make moments before a game, maybe in a hallway, sharpening blades or curving a stick like that they're like okay it's dave i don't have to yes. worry about him absolutely um that and though it's those relationships that i think have what helped make my career as uh good and as special as it's been That's um, good. not just at a stanley cup final whether it's been all-star right um you know regular season events or whatever um doesn't happen as much because I don't shoot the regular season like I used to. I don't shoot junior hockey anymore where I used to develop a lot of these relationships. Yep. So many of the guys that I had those relationships are gone. There's still a few left in the league for sure. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I can, and whether it's, you know, equipment guys, the trainers, um, the uh, equipment managers, coaching personnel. Oh yeah. It's, it's Dave. So it's cool, you know, right. um, I've earned their respect and like, I'll never forget, um, you know, in the, in the 2000 and, um, the 2006 world cup, um, being in the locker room and Mary Lemieux making a comment about, uh, myself and, and thanking me for what I do for them. And, the trust that that they have in me that I can do these that, like they don't have to worry when I'm there. I'm not there to make them look bad. And Sid, uh, Sidney Crosby, even they wrote a letter to um, I was trying to to uh, get on like a full time staff position at one point with the league back in um, the mid 2000s or so. And Sid wrote a beautiful reference letter where he spoke to that saying the players trust Dave implicitly and it's, we can be ourselves around him. And um, I actually had that, that on my website. I've still got it saved. It was just really beautiful. What he said that, that, that means me more to me than anything, knowing that guys, you know, can look at me and just know that, Oh, this is okay. You know, I've had guys like Sid's come to me on the ice when they've won the Stanley cup and like, Hey, I need, I need you to get this or, um, you know, when the Ducks won in 07, uh, I remember I had to shoot the owner and his wife. And I'm shooting the owner and the wife. And in the background, I can see 
everybody assembling for the team photo. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be late for this. I'm going to have a horrible position and everything. And then Pronger turned around and he like, so they were all facing the penalty box side, the team and all that. So, so where I'm situated was kind of on the blue line face off dot players are all facing and I'm on the penalty box side and all the players are facing that way. And I started to come around and I'm like, they wanted the photo to be so the players were facing the bench. Mm -hmm. And that's where I remember my main bank of strobes was as well. So I'm like, I'm, you know, kind of like freaking out, like, Oh, this is going to be all backwards and walking over there. And Chris Pronger saw me and he's like, everybody turn around. And he got the entire team to turn around and all the photographers that were lined up in the carpet all had to come around. around me. And I was like, you know, not in that moment, but it's like, holy smoke. Like, that's respect. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, all that, the players absolutely loved you. And there were 30 guys on the ice that wanted to beat you into submission after having to move from one spot to the next. Yeah. So I, I like I say, the relationships I've built over the years, like I say, I can be in the back hallways and, you know, guys are, are doing their thing and yeah, they, they those... don't mind me being around, you know, and, and I've always been respectful of that. I, you know, I have an idea when guys don't want me there or when to put the camera down. Um, I've never given them a reason to not trust me, you know? Right. Um, and it's, it's, as I say that those opportunities have, you know, uh, they've made for some really wonderful moments. Um, you know, I, and I remember too, like the PR director for the Blackhawks in 2015 coming up and putting his arm around me in the locker room and being like, um, saying something to the effect of like, um, we love, we love seeing you around because when we see you, we know we're, we've done something right, (laughs) you know? And it's like, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, they're they're in a good place if you're around. Yeah. Yeah. So you're never covering anybody on a 13 game losing streak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe in Toronto, I have a few. (laughs) That's where I shot the most. And well, that's just their history. Uh, (laughs) How has your travel personally changed with gear from that 98 to most recently, a couple months ago, do you pack different? Do you travel different? Obviously the gear itself has changed with, you know, what gear you're using then and now, but how do you travel differently or do you? I, I have a lot more, uh, <laughs> but no, I honestly, I, I, it hasn't changed a lot. I guess there's a little bit less stress now because there was a time where it's like they're weighing your gear bag and like you have to, you know, speak to somebody and it's like, well, this is important. I need it on the other end. When I land, it's all breakable. It's, you know, it's camera gear, et cetera. So right there would be those stresses of going to the airport and, you know, having to speak to somebody a lot and thankfully knock on wood, I never had an issue of getting it on. Um, and, you know, and I didn't even have as much back then, like right now, if I'm taking a full gear bag, like I don't, I've heard too many horror stories and seen too many horror stories over the years of guys packing lenses and bodies and, you know, putting them in Pelican cases and, and putting them under the plane and they don't show up on the other end or they show up damaged. Yeah. So I have always carried all my bodies and lenses on. Um, 
the only thing I pack in my in my uh, check bags are like remote things like magic arms and clamps and my neck cam. Um, you know, I'll pack like pocket wizards and stuff, but make sure they're uber protected and um, all the cords and cables and things like that. But bodies, lenses, batteries, uh, cards, things like that. Back in the day, film. I would always, it would always be in my carry on. And you used to have to kind of, I'd say 60% of the time speak to somebody because it was overweight right? and hope that, you know, they're going to allow you on with it, which they did. Uh, you had to, you know, film, make sure it didn't go through the x-ray machine oh, and things like yeah. that. So, um, whereas nowadays, uh, yeah, I have a 40 liter backpack and I pack it like Tetris, um, Thankfully for programs like Nexus and Trusted Traveler, it makes life so much easier because you, I don't have to take my computer out or anything, put it on the belt, it goes through maybe one out of 25 times, they might open the bag and take a look or whatever. Um, So it makes my life much easier, a lot less stress when you're going through the airport. Um, And, uh, but yeah, I've I've kind of always traveled the same way like that. But bags heavier, you know. And if somebody's like, oh, I mean, they don't really weigh the carry-ons much anymore. Um, maybe in Europe, but mm-hmm. I usually just am like, I got like sixteen lithium batteries in there. First yeah. thing I say, you know, oh, like, and then you show them, and it's like, okay, well, that's got to go on. Yep, that's got to go with you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how many cameras just, are you taking? Uh, four. Okay. Are you all the same body? No, I'm not. Um, The camera's in hand now. I'm using two uh, Canon R5s. Okay. And then um, in the net, I've got a Canon uh, 1DX Mark II. Okay. And then I also have on my body as well, Canon uh, 1DX Mark III. Okay. So they're my four bodies. Um, Sometimes I will use the the other uh, 1DX as a remote, so I may have you know, overhead remote and one in the net or alternate angle, one in the net. Um, in the bubble, I use five bodies. So you're um, keeping it pretty simple with just one, maybe two remotes. You're not going no, you know, remote crazy. No. And I mean, I don't need to as well because when I'm other than the bubble, like in the bubble, there was two of us. Right. Yeah. But was- when I'm working a Stanley Cup final, like I'm, I'm always working with the team guys. Right. So, uh, in Florida this year, uh, Elliot Schechter, the Florida Panthers guy, Elliot's had 11 remote bodies up the whole season. Put them up at the start of the season. And he's left. Took them down after yeah. the cup. And I like, well, what do I need to put another remote in for? Yeah. Where so am I, I going to cover that Elliot hasn't? Yeah. So I'm just putting extra work on our editors, right? So I, I've always looked at Stanley Cup like we're a team. You know, so what are you guys doing that I can either A, do differently or just know that I'm not just, you know, providing excess crap for editors when you've already got covered. Um, So that's the way we always kind of look at it. And to me, I've always looked at it sort of like simple is better. I've done more remotes in the past and it's like you can make yourself remote crazy and walk away with nothing. Or your camera in hand just ends up being crap because if something goes wrong, you're concentrating on trying to sort getting your remote right, you know? And um, so as the, over the years, I've simplified things where, like, I'll do two remotes at the most and they're on the same channel. 
Um, oftentimes, like I say, I'll put a net cam in and I'll have an overhead over that same net. Um, and then that way, when the play's down the ice, that's what I'm concentrating on. Right. And I, as a result, you know, I've made some really incredible moments with that. And then once the, you know, play starts to break out over the blue line, then I'm concentrating on the play with my cameras in hand. Um, I usually have a, a fisheye around my neck or a very close hand. So when the play comes in close and I use a 28 to 300, um, cover everything else. And as I say, if I have that third body there, I often will have my 200 to 400 just to get stuff on the bench. Or sometimes, you know, I will say, okay, well, there's a power play, you know, a, a you know, five on three down the far end. So I might shoot with that camera and that lens. Um, and I'll just have my remote trigger on the front of the camera type thing. So, right. um, but I try to keep it simple. Um, and I, I feel that I'm more productive that way versus trying to put up, you know, half a dozen or whatever remotes. Yeah, no, sometimes less is more and you're focused and you're not trying to juggle three cameras around your neck like some war photographer. You're just right. trying to like, I got this and I'm going to kill with this. Yeah, exactly. And the 28 to 3 is such a versatile lens. Um, How is that I, it, lens? I've never touched it. It, it sounds... A f- I, I, I love it. I've had, you know, I mean, I've, I've had three of them now over the years and they've stopped making it now so okay. i got a baby the one that i have um you know the last time i took it in for repair back in november they like right away she's like oh this may be on the do not repair list you know um and sure enough it is now on the do not repair list because they're they've kiboshed it and i hope that they come out with something in the r series lenses to replace that but um it's the the focal length is so great and especially shooting on lights over the years it was phenomenal oh yeah if if you don't have nice contrasty light that's that's where it may be you know it it can be iffy especially at the 300 range okay um because it needs that nice contrasty light but yeah i think now the the led lighting in all the buildings is is snappy and contrasty and um you know, it's it, so it, I haven't had any issues with it. Um, but that, you know, I would love just a few more millimeters on the short end. But um, so, yeah, the, the fisheye that I keep, you know, or my, you know, depending on I'll, I'll keep my 16 to 35 sometimes on there. And I just have it pre-focused for what's going to happen, maybe three to four feet in front of me. You know, and as I say, it's either on my hip or it's around my neck so I can quickly just pull it up this and go. when the play is coming in. I mean, I might go through some games where I've only shot like 10 frames on it mm-hmm. or no frames, you know, right. I, it's not my priority. Um, I would prefer to shoot, you know, 90% of the game or more with that 28 to 300. Yeah. But if and, they're on the glass, what can you do? That's all you got. Yeah, exactly. It's there just in case type thing. And, uh, yeah, you don't make a ton of pictures by, you know, throwing that, that short lens up, but every now and then you you make some real bangers and yeah, it's just there to have. But but I would say ninety percent of the game is shot on one lens, my twenty eight to three hundred. Has there been in those twenty five years one game where you're like, Wow, I'm glad I covered that game. That was that was magic. I've said that several times, I think. Um, I really have, uh, you know, and, and to ask specifics right now, I, I'm, I've covered so many, like, I, I remember 
kind of sitting there and counting last year. Like I've covered, like I have, I've covered every single game. Well, I shouldn't say that now until last year. I got COVID in 2021 mm-hmm. uh, or 2022. Sorry. So I missed, I missed, uh, I, I, I shot the first two games of Colorado, flew to Florida and I missed games three, four, and five. And then I was back out for game six. Okay. So those are the first games of the Stanley cup final since 1997 that I missed covering. And so I've covered like 130 something Stanley cup final games. I think it is now. Um, so it's hard to remember all the details, but yeah, like, I mean, Brett, Brett Hall in 1999 um, scoring in overtime, like that was a hugely historic game and, and one I, you know, I will never forget. Um I think the games that have gone to overtime, you know, like when uh, Rodriguez scored um, in 2014 for LA over um, the Rangers scored in in, in overtime to, to win the cup. Like there's nothing more exciting than an overtime Stanley cup winning goal, you know, and I, and I nailed that one as well. And the celebration, you know, like, and again, that's where you talk about changing positions. I was in the far end and I had to come to the Zamboni gate and I opted when the Kings were were shooting at that end at the Zam gate to go shoot through glass, you know, and shoot a little bit looser. And I I nailed that moment, you know, and if I didn't move then, then I wouldn't have had that, you know. Um, so again, you just never know where things are going to unfold. But um, And then there's just been, you know, the... You know, whether it's been a game one or a game three, there's been all kinds of games where you leave the rink and you're like, oh, my God, like right. what a game that was. Yeah. You know? um, there's a lot of those games I've covered where it's game three was fantastic, but that team didn't win. But the game itself was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, let's face it. Like you're talking about the best hockey of the season is played in those last two rounds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to me, like – yeah, the Stanley Cup has been, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, oh, the Stanley Cup was played in the conference finals. You know, what like yeah. two years ago, Edmonton and Colorado, that series, you know, like it was short, but it was like that should have been the cup final. You know, it was a sweep, but those games were all one goal games and overtime. And, you know, you're like that hockey was just unbelievable, you know, Um and it's sort of, I look at it that way. Like sometimes the best hockey has been played in the conference final, but let's face it overall, Stanley cup final is in the big picture over, you know, history, it's the best hockey. And would, would you ever, I guess, go to the, you know, none of the leagues do this, but basketball does this in college, go to the, we seed the Stanley cups from one to 16. So it's not conferences, but, one plays 16, two plays 15, so you have a better chance of getting the two best teams at the end? Yeah, I I kind of wish the NHL would kind of go back to that format. Um, not necessarily like one to 16, but in, within the conference, right? Like one plays eight, uh-huh. two plays seven, and so on. Because let's face it, the last few years, we've had some amazing teams eliminated, you know, in the, in the first round. Right. Um, you know, you've got just because of the way it's it's done that now. Like I, I know I've talked to a lot of players that aren't a big fan of the playoff format now. Um, I've not been a, a fan of it. 
um, I would like to see that seating again because, like, if you're the bot, like, I mean, well, shouldn't use Boston as an example this year because <laughs> they they played the lowest seed, right? Yeah, but, but there has been cases where a high seeded team is playing another high seeded team in the mm-hmm. first round, and it's like, why are you busting your butt in the regular season? to finish at the top of your division right, or second or whatever, only to play another second or third place team. Um, or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, there should be some reward for finishing at the top of your division or conference or whatever. And that is playing those lower seated teams. Um, and, uh, you know, so when you're, when you are a team that finishes first or second and you get, and you end up playing against, uh, you know, say you're a second place seed and you play the third place seed. Well, wh- why did you, why did, you know, where's your reward? Why did you bust your butt to. Yeah. You should be playing accomplish what seed. you did in the regular yeah. season only to be handed a team that finished two points behind you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I do like the seeding, like, you know, one to 16 would be super interesting, you know, cause I, I want to see the best teams. Yeah. And if, if, if you happen to be, you know, like this year, you know, Boston was obviously the best team in the regular season. It was unbelievable. But at the same time, and then they played the lowest ranking seed in Florida. Florida, up until until finals, was the strongest and most consistent team in the playoffs. They were. They they The playoffs is a different season. And if you totally finish, finish last and you squeeze in like they did, Edmonton did it when they played Carolina. They were the last place team to make the playoffs. And they they turned it on at the right time and they were the most consistent team until about game three or four of the Stanley cup final. And you know, Florida did the same thing this year, but Vegas was the most consistent in the West in the playoffs. They were, they deserved to be where they were. They deserved it in the end. Um, And, and kudos to those teams like a Florida, if you are a last place team and you know, and you turn it on at the right time and you beat those high seeded clubs then then I, I fully respect that. But I don't like to see those matchups early on where you have like a two playing three or three playing four um, and you're potentially eliminating one of the top, you know, three or four seeded teams. I, I want to see the best players and the best teams yeah. have the best opportunity to to continue to advance. Yeah. Especially, you know, in the end, we're selfish. We want to see the best teams because we want to make the best pitchers. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's just how it For is. Sure. Now, great. There's always a Cinderella story and the, you know, the Florida Panthers come out of nowhere, they squeak in and then they make a run. But in the end, you really do want to see one versus two or the two teams that have really just kicked ass all year long. And yeah. that's going to make hopefully a better Stanley a better, Cup fun. Well, a better story. Like, like, let's face it. Like, yeah, I wanted to see a Boston Edmonton final this year. Oh, you did. There's, there's a fan in me. Yes. And, and that, and, and there's a fan of the game and it's like, I mean, Edmonton only finished two points out of first overall in the West, you know, Vega, like I, I go back quickly. I'll go back to like when teams lose the first game of the season, they're like, Oh, there's 81 more to go. It's just one game <laughs> on the end. Edmonton finished one game back, one win shy of winning the conference. Would that have been the difference for them if they got home ice against Vegas? You just mm-hmm. never know, right? Right. And then, That's all and, it takes. And they split, if I recall, against Vegas. So had they not had they won one more game against Vegas, they would have had home ice. Uh, could that have made the difference? Who knows? We'll never know. Right. But 
they were only one point out of first, so they were essentially one of the best teams in the West. Boston best in the East. I want to see that as yeah. a as a sports fan, as a NHL photographer. I want to see the best of the best, and and that through the course of the regular season, they were two of the best. Right. Um, so yeah, it's like as the playoffs were whittling down, and it's like. Oh, wow. And then the other factor is, like I've mentioned, cities and where you go. Okay, well, I I, I don't want to, you know, sound like some arrogant Canadian, but <laughs> there is nothing better than a Stanley Cup final in this country of Canada. Right. Like when it comes to the game of hockey, Boston maybe somewhat compares, but it's such a massively large city. I, I could, things still can get lost there. Mm-hmm. Um, same as Chicago. Like, it's just that they're so big that they still get lost, especially New York. It's like you leave the arena and you're like, oh, there's a Stanley Cup final happening. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> you know, cause it's just so massive and there's sure. so many millions of people. Whereas in, in Canada, like, whether it's been Montreal, Edmonton, uh, Calgary or Vancouver, like, it is everything. And yeah. it's everything, it's everywhere, it's all everybody talks about. It is like every little suburban road you drive down, there are signs, there's jerseys, there's flags, and the streets are filled with people. And it's so exciting. So I was hoping to see that. And I've seen that in Boston, like in the downtown core and game days, where it's like there are thousands of people that ascend on downtown to just be around and be part of that atmosphere. And that just doesn't happen in Florida. Like still right. this year in Florida, I went places, people are like, oh, where are you from? And like, oh, what are you here for? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm here for, you know, like if you mention the Panthers, it's like, who? I'm not exaggerating. So right. people are like, who? Yeah. The Florida Panthers, your hockey team. What? They, there's a team here? I'm like, oh my God. Like, really? This is still happening? Right. Um, or you mentioned the Stanley Cup final and they'd be like, what's that? You know, and I'm like, you live 20 minutes from the arena. How do you not know at this day and age with a team that's been around here for 30 years? Like, you don't even know there's a Stanley Cup final, let alone your team's in it. Nope. So it's a different feeling. It yeah. really is. So I, you know, you know, like it's, it's you know, been a long, are- it's been a long time. I mean, a long time since two Canadian teams played in the Stanley Cup final, 1989, oh. right? Wasn't it Calgary yeah. and Calgary and Montreal? Montreal. I mean, Jesus Christ, yeah. Dave, you were, you were what? Nine. <laughs> Not quite, but <laughs> I mean, but it was, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like I, I would love to see an all Canadian final, like, and, and I've not been a Leaf fan at all, but <laughs> as the playoffs, you know, we are going to the playoffs. I'm like, not that I would admit it, but yeah, if there was a Edmonton Toronto final, like it would be in this country would just shut down. Right. Like, they lose their mind. Be, lose their mind. Exactly. So you can't compare any finals in the States or cities to it. Nope. Um, and so that's why I say, I look at the cities and the, and the teams and, and there's all these other little elements that I look at as to, why I would like to go where we go for finals. Well, you haven't even um, shot a Canadian winner, right? In 25 years, there's not been one Canadian team that's won. No. Yeah. No. Come close to seeing right. some win, but but no, have not seen a, a Canadian winner. Yeah. Um, I mean, for the love and, of God, you know, all these weird offshoot teams have won and not one Canadian team has pulled no. it in for you. And so anyway, yeah, like it's it's one of those things where, 
you know, I, I do, I look at all that and I think like this year conference finals, it's like all four teams are in the South, you know, like kudos to the league. And like, it's proving that hockey in the South is working, you know, Florida, the Stanley cup has been in the state of Florida four years in a row. Well played in, in Alberta, but a Florida team there, um, you know, and when I think about now, like Dallas and Anaheim and LA and Vegas and, um, you know, the, the Lightning, the Panthers, Carolina, like there's been so much Stanley Cup hockey played in in, in the southern states, yeah. you know. Um, and and don't get me wrong, like those some of those like Vegas has an incredible fan base. Uh, Carolina has an incredible fan base. Tampa has an incredible fan base, but it's it's very tight knit. You know, yep. it, it doesn't it doesn't expand, you know, statewide right. or no. province wide yeah. or whatever, like it does here. So it is different. Um, and that's why I say this year, I really hope for an Edmonton Boston final. Cause I'm like two incredible hockey teams, so much incredible talent, incredible hockey cities to, to go to. So um, that's, that's the fan in me in the beginning. That's like, yeah, that's why I want to go to these places, you yeah. know, like, cause Absolutely. it's the overall, um, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's got the makeup of everything that makes a, a great Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that's what you want. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've shot 25. Um, how many more do you think you got in you? 25. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I would love to. I would love to hit 50. I mean, I, I'm you know freelance photographer. I'm never going to be able to retire um, unless there's a sugar mama out there. But not that I want to retire. I don't. I love what I do, and if I'm capable of doing this for another 25 years, I want to. You know, I I'd, I'd love. I absolutely love what I do. Like I say, I, I don't want to retire. I will only retire when I'm sort of forced to retire or right. forced to stop shooting this game. Um, I hope that I can stay on the ball and continue to do it for as long as I can. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time and talking about it. Cause I love the fact that there's somebody that has covered 25. Um, there's not a lot of photographers left that get to cover one event for such a long period of time. And hockey is such a special thing. I don't think there's enough people that give it enough attention. I don't think TV does hockey the justice. You really got to go in person and experience it, especially if you can go see it in a Canadian arena. It's a much different experience. Um, I mean, they joke about LA's got 20,000 strong King fans, but that's it. Just enough to fill, you know, the crypto arena and then that's it. Like, (laughs) you know, but I'm glad you've been there to be able to cover, make unbelievable images meet all those people. I mean, you've given them unbelievable experiences with your coverage and the images that you've made. And that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot. No, nah, it's great. It's good stuff. I mean, God knows you could be doing worse things. You know, you could be uh, neck deep in frozen water shooting animals. Oh, wait a minute. You do do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crazy ass. <laughs> I keep asking them if they can drill a hole at center ice for me. I can just kind of pop up and pop back down when I need to. Yeah, that's that it. hasn't happened yet. Don't mind him. <laughs> he does this naturally. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. You keep going, brother, and we'll uh, we'll catch up sometime soon. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you having me back on, and and uh, it's nice to hear that some of the listeners requested this. Yeah, um, I'm looking looking forward to 
hearing myself again what I've said and what I've bumbled over and uh, uh, I'll be sure to share it with uh, my audience as well. So thank you. All right. You're the best, Dave. We'll talk soon. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dave. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember to follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram and you can find all the past shows on our website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.